Father under that cross. And in Satan's eyes and in Satan's eyes, that cross was meant to defeat the one who came to restore. And because of your amazing grace and your amazing love and your amazing power, instead of defeating, you gave me hope. You gave me a chance at new life. You gave us a chance to be free. Thank you so much for the price that was paid on our behalf. Thank you so much for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We ask at this point in the service that your spirit would guide our hearts, that you would direct us, that you would point us back to your son, Jesus Christ. That as we look at the words that you have written for us in the word of God, that they would speak life into our hearts. Father, it is our desire to be more like Jesus Christ because of the time we spend here together this morning. And in order for that to happen, it means we have to yield our hearts and our spirits to your spirit. And so we ask that you'd grant us the courage to do that. We know that you want to speak to us because that's your desire. So help our ears and our hearts to be open. Mold us and shape us into the image of your son praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. I want to just take a minute at the beginning of uh, our sermon to, to just do a little family talk with you. Um, we see ourselves as a family here at Mossbrook Church. And uh, if you are have been with us for the last uh, six weeks or so, you probably have noticed that each week uh, there seems to be a few more people hanging around and showing up, and uh, last week uh, we ended up with about 30 seats left uh, in all three of the uh, theaters that we have, and so we know that Easter's coming, and so what we're going to ask our family members to do here at the church is, as you get here in the morning, can you just go to the middle uh, and just fill in from the middle out on every aisle? Uh, that will help us to make sure that we fill in all the rows and there's not a one seat left. Uh, we want to get everybody in that we can. Also, we're talking about some other options, whether we open another theater up or what we end up doing uh, for Easter Sunday and, and leading up to that. We are very happy uh, with the problem of seating, okay? That is not a disappointing thing for us at all. Uh, we're happy that, that you guys are, are, are coming to worship with us and that you're uh, telling your friends and your neighbors about that and, and that we can get here together and enjoy uh, just being, how many of you enjoyed this morning just worshiping together? I know I did. And uh, yeah, it is a joy to be back together, to be worshiping together. So just keep that in mind that there's more and more folks. Uh, also just keep it in mind as we gather out, we don't want you to leave quickly. There's coffee, there are refreshments. Uh, make Go take them, eat them, enjoy them, uh, and spread down the hall. Make sure there's just room for people to get through, but hang out. I was so happy. Pam and I were back from vacation last week, and, and uh, it was so cool to, to hang out here, and it was probably 10 to 12 or so when we left, and there were still people hanging out, and I love that because uh, it means folks are just catching up with one another and enjoying each other's company. So we want to encourage you to do that. 
uh, after the service and enjoy uh, the fellowship time that's here. So we have been talking about being citizens of heaven in the book of uh, Philippians, and uh, we want to continue that this morning, and we want to talk about this title. Uh, as citizens of heaven, God asks us to keep going. Um, it's not a one-and-done thing. Uh, when we come to know Jesus Christ, it's, it's a, we might say it this way, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Okay, let's do that again because some of you are already asleep. It's not a sprint, it's a Okay. Now, when I, a few years ago, and, and as my kids were growing up, and I wanted to do this before they got old enough that uh, I couldn't keep up with them, and that happens really quick, by the way. Uh, so Pam and I decided that we would do a 5K with our kids. We would run a 5K with our kids. Now, the motivation was, was not healthy living. That wasn't it. I'll be honest, the motivation, the place that it was was in, in, in uh, St. Stephen, New Brunswick, which is the home of Ganong Chocolates, which is a, a Canadian uh, chocolate. Uh, they, they make wonderful chocolates, by the way, if you ever get a chance. If you don't, I'm sorry. I feel bad for you. But, um, and they make other things like uh, uh, chicken bones, which I know may, that's Canadian. It may seem really odd to you, but it's incredible. It's little cinnamon pieces of candy with chocolate in the middle. Uh, they're hand-rolled. They're, they're incredible. And let me move on. So, um, so we decided to do this 5K, and if you do a 5K in St. John, which is the home of Ganong Chocolates, they, their, their website said that at the end of the race, you got all kinds of chocolate. Our family loves chocolate, and so the motivation for the 5K was not healthy living. It was the chocolate at the end of the 5K. That was the motivation. Let me just say it was very disappointing. They did not give, I was picturing like, Mounds of chocolate. We didn't, we didn't get that. But anyway, the point of this whole story is this. I got, I'm off in chocolate. It's hard for me to stay focused. The point of the story is this. In order to do a 5K, you don't just get up in the morning and go, let's go run a 5K if you haven't been running, right? Uh, you can try that, and you'll probably have some pain and agony that goes along with that. But what happens is you have to prepare for the 5K. And so our family, we... Pam and I walk all the time, uh, and, and we exercise every day, and so we just worked at that a little bit more, and Pam and the kids actually practiced running. Uh, the five, they worked themselves up to the 5K, and so as a family, we went. The, the Wessels joined us. They drove up. They were also there for reams of chocolate, which they didn't get either, but anyway, we, we ran the 5K, and we persevered. We made it. We kept going. It got hard at points. The other thing that got hard is they had it mislabeled, and we really weren't sure where we were supposed to end. But it was fun anyway. And we made it to the end because we kept going through the process to get to the end. Starting is easy. The idea of running for chocolate is simple. But persevering, walking, and running through the entire 5K can be really difficult. I did a marathon one time in my life on a bet. Uh, I played hockey, and we played three times a week, and was in. We, we exercised a lot. I was in pretty good shape at that point in my life. And we had, uh, actually it was Melody's, uh, Melody's dad, who was a, a runner, told a bunch of us as hockey players that we couldn't do a marathon with him and that's all it took and he knew it that that's all it took and so there was five or six of us that got up on a Saturday morning and we ran a full marathon with him I will never do it again ever 
There comes a point in that marathon where you don't think you can keep going. There comes a point when you're running where you just want to give up. But you know that in order to get to the finish line, you have to will your body, will your legs, will your feet into keep going, keep going, keep moving, keep going. In my lifetime, I've also been a builder, and I love to build. I love to build homes. I like to do it from the ground up. I love to see the finished product. But every product that, every project that I've done, and it's been a pile of them, by the way, from, from just it's been a lot of projects. Every project that I've ever been in, you spend the time to figure the project out. You spend the time to figure out what it's going to cost, how long it's going to take. You spend the time to figure out the people that you're going to need, the materials that you're going to need. And you start with great gusto. You get ready to do the project and you get materials there and you get a crew together and you start building and you're excited about building. But every project that I've ever been in comes a point partway through the project where I say, why did I take this project, it's never going to end. I'm over my head. I can't finish this project. And you know what you have to do? Keep going. You get up the next day and you show up back at the project and you start building again. And you get up the next day and you show up the project and you start building again. And you keep going. And eventually... If you keep going, guess what? There's a finish line. There's an end. The project will end. And the same is true in our spiritual life. But one of the biggest difficulties in our spiritual life, one of the biggest problems, and not just in our spiritual but in our physical life, is as human beings, we want to get to the place where we can relax and we can give up. We are all looking for a place in our life where we can say, ah, I have arrived. I can sit down and I can put my feet up and I can just relax. I'm done. It's over. I don't have to get up there and I don't have to finish because it's all done. And you're saying, yes, Tim, just stay there. <laughs> but as human beings, we want to come to that place where we can just be done. And one of the worst things that can happen to us as humans is for us to succeed. Because the moment we add success to our life, we think that we have arrived. And we begin to back off. And we begin to stop trying. And we stop learning. And we disengage our brain. And we don't put the effort in anymore. And we stop looking for a finish line, and we give up. And folks, what happens to us as Christ followers, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're in one of these theaters, and you're sitting or you're watching online, and we come to know Jesus Christ, and we begin to grow in our faith, and we set lines in our faith, and we say, man, if I can reach that line, then I have arrived, and I have made it, and I've got it all together, and I've got it figured out with God, and it's one of the most dangerous things that can happen to us as Christ followers. Because we let off. And we think we have it figured out, and we don't need God anymore. And we stop listening to the Spirit of God as He prompts us and he, he tries to guide us and guard our hearts. 
And so this passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, we're not going to make it all the way through. I'm just going to tell you that on the front side. I already know that. But this passage is Paul talking to us about the whole thing that we don't ever arrive. Now, you can look at that and you can say, well, that's discouraging. Or you can look at that and say, wow, that's really encouraging. And I want you to look at it this morning as motivation and encouragement to you. And I want you to think about the person who's writing this. Because the person who's writing this is probably one of the heroes of the New Testament, right? When we read the New Testament, we think about Paul. We think about all that he accomplished in the churches that he planted and the, and the books that he wrote and, and all of the things that Paul did. And yet Paul's heart attitude we're going to look at this morning and Paul's heart attitude all the way through was I have to keep going. I can't let off. I can't stop. I know if I stop, I'm in trouble. I got to keep going. I have to keep at it. And that's what I want you to take away this morning. And in order to do that, we're going to look at four phrases in this passage of Scripture. Two of them are the heart attitude of Paul. It's what's going on in his heart, and it's what drives him to keep going. The last two that we're going to look at are how he works that out in his everyday living. So we're going to look at two heart attitudes, and we're going to look at the fact that you and I can have the same heart attitude. And then we're going to look at how practically we can walk those heart attitudes out in our everyday living. You ready for this? We're not going to make it through the whole passage, okay? So just, you can breathe, it's okay, but we're going to get most of the way through it. Here we go. Two phrases. The first phrase is found in chapter 3, verse 12. Let me read this for you this morning. It says this, Not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Phrase number one that I want you to get this morning found in verse 12 is this. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. This phrase refers back to a statement that, that Paul had already made early, earlier, and Pastor Mike shared it with us last week. It was found in verse 7 and also in verse 10, where, where Paul looks at his life and he says, everything that I had gained up to this point, I consider as loss. And Pastor Mike did a great job last week. He said this, that that word there, loss, means as garbage, as useless, as refuse. It means that everything that I've accomplished, everything that I've brought to myself up to this point, I need to throw it all away because in order for me to keep going, that stuff from my past isn't going to help me out at all. And, and Pastor Mike shared with us that, he, that Paul had a lot of things that he could be proud of in, in how he'd lived his life and what he had done and who he was and who he had become. And yet Paul looked at it and he said, none of that stuff that I have accomplished in and of myself is enough. It's not enough. And I count it all as loss. I throw it all away so that I can keep going toward the prize, the purpose, which we're going to talk about, who is Jesus Christ. And so the phrase here is this. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect. I haven't made it yet. And Paul knew this about us. He was aware who he was. He, he was aware of what was going on, on in his own heart and mind. And he said, look, I haven't reached the goal yet. I haven't made it yet. And if Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, uh, my small group right now is studying the book of Romans. 
And the book of Romans is the, the theology, a lot of the theology, a lot of, of, of deep theology and understanding who God is and the character of God and how, our, how salvation works and, and, and how sinful we are and, and the need of a Savior in, in, because we're sinners. And, and when Paul wrote all that, he, he wrote a lot of really deep stuff, but Paul looks at it and he says, look, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect yet. Anybody in this room perfect? No. No. You and I have not arrived yet. We will not arrive until we are in glory, until we're in heaven with God. Because then our old nature will be completely eradicated at that point, right? When we became Christ followers, we have a new nature in us. But we still struggle with the old man, those sinful desires. We're still tempted by sin as we live on this earth. We're going to still fight the battle of sin while we're on this earth. And we will never get rid of that until we end up in heaven with God, with him. And so some of us get really discouraged because we're fighting a battle. We're dealing with temptations. There's sin issues in our life that keep they keep showing up, they keep rearing their ugly heads in our life over and over again. And, and folks, know this, you're going to fight that battle until glory. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to discourage, but you're going to fight that battle until you get to heaven. And Paul says, look, I'm aware of my heart, I'm aware of who I am, and I have not made it yet. But I will. But I will. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this way, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. I haven't made it yet, but the day that I stand in his presence, I will be just like him, and I will be perfect in every aspect of of my life. And that is what I'm reaching for. And that was Paul's heart attitude is I haven't made it yet. I haven't arrived there yet. I know what's in my own heart, but I am striving for that day. I long for that day when I will be with him. The goal is the finish line and it's always before him. And the goal is to be like Christ. He was motivated to keep going, to allow his character to be constantly and continually changed into the likeness and the image of God himself. Now I know, because I'm as human as you are, that when you hear that this morning, some of you are sitting there and you're, you're incredibly discouraged. Because you're a realist. And you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I have so far to go. I know me. <laughs> Do you know you? Yeah. I know me. I know my heart. I know my struggles. Ah, oh, that's so discouraging. Don't be discouraged. See, the one who saved us promised that he will provide everything we need to keep taking those steps to become more and more like him. And it's by yielding our hearts and our lives. It's by us giving up. It's by us giving in to who God is that we're able to grow to become more like him. 
So don't be discouraged this morning. God isn't sitting in heaven saying, man, you're, you have so far to go. No, he's encouraging you to keep going, keep coming. Come on. My grace, remember what Mike shared with us, that it's grace upon grace, that when you experience the grace of God in our lives, then he adds more grace. It's not used up. He just keeps giving, just more. That's what God wants to do in your life. So don't be discouraged. and Instead, be motivated to keep going. God promises to provide what I need to make it to the end, to the finish line. It depends on where my mind is, and often we, we fail because we talk ourselves into the failure. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Instead of saying, God has provided everything I need to make it, it's there. Paul says, I know that I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to keep going. Success in our society means relax, take it easy. Where success in God's society means total reliance and rest in Him. Totally different meaning. Success in God's eyes is a verse from Matthew chapter 11 where He says this, My yoke, the burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not relax. It's not let go. It's not easy street. It's take the person of Jesus Christ on myself and allow the weight of a relationship with Jesus Christ to direct and guide your footsteps and motivate you to keep going. Have you given up this morning? Or are you at a place in your life where you've been a believer a long time and you say, I've arrived, (laughs) I've made it, I've got it figured out. Let me just say something to you. Satan has you right where he wants you because you're done growing. Paul says this, I haven't made it yet. (laughs) I'm still striving. That's his hard attitude. I haven't made it yet. Attitude number two, found in phrase number two, it's in verse 13, let me read it for you. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Let me grab this phrase, it says this, but one thing I do. I was reading a a book this week by Warren Wiersbe, and he reminded me about the one things in Scripture and how important one things are in the Christian life. In the New Testament, there's a number of times where this phrase is used. In Mark 10, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he told Jesus, I've kept all the commands. And Jesus looked at him and said, this one thing you must do, sell all that you have and follow me. There's often one thing that holds us back, folks. And for that guy, he said, look, I've followed all the commands. And Jesus said, yeah, but your stuff's got your heart. (laughs) One thing you must do, sell it all. Later in the Gospels, Jesus does it again in, 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 in Luke 10. Remember Mary and Martha and, and Mary was cooking and I mean, and, and uh, I mean, Martha was cooking, Mary was sitting, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and Martha complained, right? And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, one thing you must do. Mary's got it right. 
It's not about all the busy stuff that you need to do. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. It's about focusing your attention and your heart on the person of Jesus Christ. One thing you must do. One thing. There was another guy who was blind in John chapter 9, and, and he ran into Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And the Pharisee said, hey, who was it that healed you? How did you get like this? And the guy said, look, one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. One thing I know is I couldn't do this, but now because I ran into Jesus, I see. One thing happened. He ran into the person of Jesus Christ. One thing in his life. In Psalm 27, David says it this, One thing I desire in my heart, one thing I desire of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thing. Paul says it here in this phrase, and he says, Look, but one thing I do. Forgetting everything else, one thing, a believer must give themselves over completely to God. A believer must come to the point in their life where they can say, one thing I do, Jesus. Did you catch it? One thing I do, Jesus. Oh, we live in a culture that says you can have everything. You can do it all. You can have a split attention. You can, you, can, you can spend your time doing 25 things at once. But guess what? You don't do any of them well. You can have it all. It can all be at your disposal. And God looks at that and he says, no, you can't. One thing. Say, so hold it, Tim. Hold it. That doesn't make sense. I have to go to work. To, I got to feed my family. I have to be a dad. I have to be a mom. I have to be a worker. I have to be a friend. But if you do one thing, if you focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ as the sole part of your life, guess what? Every other aspect of your life will fall into the position that it ought to be in and God will direct every part of your life. One thing I do, God, Jesus, one thing. Now there's something really difficult about that. Because if I'm going to do the one thing, that means I have to get rid of the distractions in my life. And you're sitting there and you say, Tim, I can't do that. No, that's the wrong phrase. It's, Tim, I won't do that. Let me say that again. I can't do that, but that's wrong. It's, I won't do that. I don't want to put the energy in. I don't want to take the time. I don't, want to, I don't want to put my life on hold. I don't want to miss the fun. I don't want to get all the things that I think I should get as a person. See, the reason why we often don't follow the one thing I do, Jesus, God, is because we're afraid of what God will withhold from us. I know we're quiet, and the reason we're quiet is because when we look at our own hearts, it's often why we hold back from serving God wholeheartedly. And Paul says, look, 
one thing I do. That's it. My sole purpose in this life, my sole purpose in this world, my sole purpose in living is to serve Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. That's it. One thing I do. I'm reminded of the story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, you hear the story of Jerusalem that was in ruins. And the people of Jerusalem were a reproach to God. And the surrounding nations were making fun of the nation of Israel because of the ruins of Jerusalem and, and the plight of the people. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the king's, uh, in the king's palace and he was called back to rebuild the temple. I mean, to rebuild the, the city walls of Jerusalem. And he came back to build the city walls of Jerusalem. And it's an amazing story. In 52 days, they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, the walls. And almost when they're done, there was a group of people who didn't want them to succeed from the nations that surrounded them. And they called on, on, Jerus on, on Nehemiah and they said, Nehemiah, we need to have a meeting with you. Come down from the building that you're doing. Come down from the wall. Get away from the wall so that we can have a meeting from you. And I love Nehemiah's response. His response was, why should I leave this great work that I am doing to come and talk to you? This one thing I do. This is what God called me to do. And I will not be distracted from it. See, believer, often in our lives, we don't know what God wants of us. And because we don't know what God wants of us, we're running like chickens with our head cut. Have you ever seen a chicken with his head cut off? I have. I remember as a kid, I was scared to death. I was chased by a chicken with a head cut off. That's what I thought was happening. I was just a little guy, and I was helping my dad, I thought. And the chicken chased me, and he had no head. It was very scary. But that's what happens to us as believers often, right? We're running all over the place with zero direction. There's no head-giving direction to what we're doing. And we're distracted by all forms of life. When in reality, we need to be just like Nehemiah, where we're sure of what God is doing in our lives, and we say, I can't do that. I can't get distracted from what God is asking me to do. I can't get distracted from what God is asking me to do in my personal life, with my family, with the ministry that I have, with the, the limited amount of time and energy that I have. I must serve God first and foremost. That's what he's called me to do. I will not be distracted. Let me give you a few words that are so unpopular in our culture that stop us. They would help us if we would focus on them, but we don't. Word number one is focus. We struggle with focus. We have so many ways of information coming to our hearts and our minds that we're distracted all the time. I've been looking at a book lately called Deep Work, and it has to do with the amount of time and energy that we put into actually focusing on one thing. In our culture and our society, the ability to focus is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And most people in the workplace now, it's rare that they focus for over four minutes at one time. So what I want you to think about is when you sit down to read the Word of God, how focused are you actually? 
What grabs your attention? What pulls you away? How about intentional? If you've been around for a long time, you know it's one of my favorite words. Being intentional about what you do in your life every day. You choosing ahead of time what it is that you're going to do, who you're going to be with, who you're going to talk to, the time you're going to spend in the Word of God, the time you're going to be at work, and not allow insignificant things to eat up your time. Intentional. Single-minded. How many of you this morning, and you don't have to put your hand up, but how many of you would say that you've been single-minded in your life and your focus? Concentration. The ability to think about one thing for a long period of time and actually engage your mind until you work through what it is that you're thinking about. We're losing that in our culture. People want to keep flipping through stuff on their phone. They want to look at the next video, the next sound bite, the next little piece of information instead of stopping and thinking through what's actually going on in your life. Eliminate. When was the last time you spent time eliminating things from your life? Do you realize that the more stuff that you accumulate, each piece of Each item, each thing that you accumulate takes a little piece of you away. And it makes you focus and think about that thing. And and if you have all kinds of things that surround you, all kinds of stuff, it keeps pulling you farther and farther and farther away from the main thing, the one thing, this one thing. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. I'm saying that it can distract me from my relationship with God. How about silence? When was the last time that you stopped and you were just silent before God? I don't mean for 30 seconds. I mean for an extended period of time where you and God just sat with each other and you didn't say a word. How about thoughtfulness? When was the last time that you engaged your mind to the point where you thoughtfully were able to to consider the person and the character of God and how he affects your life. Thoughtfulness. This one thing. This one thing. But then we move on from that to the second two phrases, and we're going to have to move because, like I said, we're out of time already. i got to give you two phrases very quickly. Here we go. Two phrases. Phrase number three is found in verse 13. It says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Third phrase is this, forget what is behind and reach forward. So many of us spend our lives geared up, thinking about and and causing our whole life to wrap around what happened in our past. And our past is behind us. When he says forgetting, he doesn't mean that you have Alzheimer's all all of a sudden and you can't remember what happened. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, to choose to neglect to remember. You catch that? It means that you make a conscious effort in your own being to stop remembering what happened in the past. So much of of what goes on in our lives, we allow our past to dictate our future. And it can't. It doesn't need to. And so Paul says, look, 
I was a killer of the church in the past. You think somebody had something that could really dictate his future? Paul did. Paul's like, I killed people in the church. That's what I did in my past. And he could have sat for the rest of his life with his head in his hands and his knees on and his elbows on his knees saying, God, you'll never forgive me. I'm a horrible person. Paul says, forgetting what I did in the past, I'm going to reach forward to what God has for me in the future. Believer, are you living in the past? Are you reaching forward to what God has? Forget what's in the past. Oh, there are times we need to remember what God has done for us in the past. But Satan wants to take all those horrible things that are in our past and he wants to use those against us and God has already forgiven those. God has already dealt with those through his son Jesus Christ in the finished work on the cross. Let me give you the fourth phrase. Fourth phrase is this found in verse 14. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Fourth phrase is this, I pursue as my goal. This is not an inactive phrase. This is a very active phrase. Paul says this, it wasn't enough for me to become a follower of Jesus Christ and I just sat down after that and I was all done until God takes me to heaven. No, he says this, God did the finished work of my salvation on the cross and his son Jesus Christ and when I accepted that and now I pursue, I chase after God. I am working as hard as I can to pursue the person of God. I'm not working for my salvation, that's all done. But I'm working hard to become like Jesus Christ. If you've ever hunted before, you know that pursuing game takes work. It takes preparation. You have to know where the game is. You have to know how it lives. You have to know what it likes to eat. You have to get up and be in the place where game's going to be. And when you get there, you have to be dressed appropriately. You can't smell in certain ways or else they're going to know that you're there. Pursuing game is a very difficult thing, and it takes work. And the same thing is, if we are pursuing Jesus Christ, there's a lot of prep work that goes into pursuing Jesus Christ. And we live in a day and an age where we want everything the easy way. Just nuke it, just add water, just mix it a little bit, and that's all we want to do. And becoming more like Jesus Christ is something that I have to pursue. And let me tell you something about pursuing Christ. Satan is working all the time to stop you from doing it. And he will offer you as many distractions as possible so that you will not work at becoming like Jesus Christ. He'll give you good things, things that look awesome in your life, things that taste good and make you feel good, People around you that make you feel good about who you are, but stop you from pursuing Jesus Christ. And Paul says this. Here's some active things. One of the active things is this. I am going to pursue. I am going to chase. I'm going to put every bit of my energy into becoming like Jesus Christ in the image of him. Why? Why does Paul use these four phrases? Why does Paul say that I'm going to give everything of my being to this one thing of pursuing Jesus Christ, forgetting the things that would distract me from, from my past, and I'm going to give all of my energy and all of my thought and everything about me to, to, to following Jesus Christ? Why does he say that? Because he really came to know 
Jesus. Because when Christ redeemed him, when Christ took his sin, when Christ paid the price for his sin, the freedom and the hope that he experienced was so amazing that he's like, I can do nothing but follow the one who saved me. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower. I have been saved. I have been redeemed. Then you know what Paul is saying. Because you didn't deserve to be forgiven. You didn't deserve to have new life. You didn't, have a, you didn't deserve to have a chance to have a relationship with your heavenly father and your creator. You didn't deserve any of it. But because of what Christ did, you have it. You have that hope. And so like Paul, our hearts should be drawn to the place where we say, this one thing, Jesus, that's all I'm doing. That's all I need. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that he was enough. In your cup holder beside you, there's a little packet for communion this morning. And we're going to, in a minute, we're going to take that packet. The band's going to lead us in a song. But I want to read these verses as they come up. And it's 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new commandment in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A phrase in that verse that I want you to, those verses that I want you to remember is this. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup. Paul is telling us in that, that little passage that he wrote, he's saying this, look, we need, to be, we need to be reminded often about what Christ did for us. Do you need that? I do. I need to be reminded often of the fact that in my own nature and in my own heart, I'm sinful. I'm selfish and I'm prideful. And in my own nature, I'll, I'll look out for myself. I'll do things that make me happy. I'll do things for my own selfish ambitions. And Paul says, look, I'm the same as you, and, and I need to be reminded often of what Jesus Christ did for me and what he saved me from. And because of what he did for me, I have hope and I have a future and I have forgiveness. And so when Jesus gave this bread and this cup to the disciples, he said, look, I want you to, to stop often. I want you to be reminded of who Jesus is and that everything that you need is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to go back to Jesus Christ often. So can I encourage you this morning that it's not just about communion here and now. If you as a family are believers in Jesus Christ, you can practice communion at home. 
you have a small group, you can practice communion at a small group. If you have a meal with friends, you can practice communion meal with friends. Because Paul and Jesus both reminded us, look, you need to often be reminded of what Christ did because we're easily distracted. It's easy for us to lose our focus. So this morning, as we wrap up, would you put your eyes back on Christ? Would you put your eyes back on the one who did so much so that you could have hope and forgiveness and new life? God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these phrases that Paul left for us. They refocus our hearts. They cause us to come back to the one who's done so much for us. Would you give us the strength and the courage to be that focused like Paul? This one thing I do, Jesus. As we take communion this morning, would you help our hearts and our spirits to be refreshed, to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Give us a fresh picture of all that's been done on our behalf. Thank you so much. In your name we pray.